Welcome back. Signals from the Deep, Episode 7. Grant, we've made it seven episodes, man. Lucky number seven. Thank you for all the work that you do. And we've got a great episode today. Highly anticipated. He is a guy that when you think about being good for the game, a fan of the game, a artist with his words, he is Detroit born and raised. He now calls Seattle home, but between Detroit and Seattle, there's been quite a few stops that we'll get into. Play-by-play for the Youngstown Phantoms, Bowling Green Falcons, Cincinnati Cyclones, which is where I first met this guy when I was broadcasting in the ECHL as well. And he is now the voice of the Seattle Kraken, 93.3 KJR Kraken Audio Network. Everett fits you, a.k.a. the mayor, Everett. Thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? Nikki Grant, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I want to correct you, though. I've actually known you for a lot longer mm. than uh, when you were in Indy and when I was in Cincinnati. You were playing for the Waterloo Blackhawks mm. in the USHL yes. when I first met you. I think that would have been... Oh, Lordy. 13, 14, yeah. uh, 12, 13, 13, 14. I was right really then. young back then. You're really so my young. memory. You yeah, know, yeah. We've been about, what, 16 then? Yeah, so, something like uh, that, yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember you. I know we had a couple conversations. Obviously, your dad yeah. was a, is still a big proponent and a mm-hmm. big supporter of the USHL. That's where I first met him mm-hmm. uh, also. So, yeah, I've known you a little longer than, yeah. uh, than our indie days. But yeah. good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is uh, it's great to have you on. Um, first off, How's the summer been? It's been awesome, man. I, I, I'm i not even going to front. This has probably been one of the best summers of my life uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, I, I have a, a one-year-old at home. My toddler is toddling all over the place. So <laughs> uh, it's been it's been a blast chasing after him and yeah. watching him grow. And when we were going into the offseason, we got done playing Dallas and we came home and he was still kind of crawling, you know, using the table to support himself and walk around the house. But now he's climbing on that table. He's walking around. He's jumping. He's running. He's saying more words. And watching him grow and and, and develop has been awesome. So that's been fun. Had a couple trips this summer. Uh, went to Europe for a couple of weeks. Uh, did some awesome content pieces for the Kraken. So stay tuned for those uh, as we get closer to the season. But we did some uh, fantastic family profile pieces on Alexander Wenberg, Andre Burakovsky, uh, and Ellie Tolvanen. So those were a lot of fun. But it's been great, man. Uh, you know, as anyone, the, the season's a grind. So anytime you can step away and right. be with your family and, and recharge and hopefully get ready for a, another deep postseason run, I've been I've been making the most of every second of the summer. So a little bit over a year into fatherhood, yeah. little Wesley. Yeah. What, so is there a reason he's a family name? I, I mean, I love the name. So I got to ask, why why Wesley? <laughs> <laughs> and and since obviously being a father now, yeah. like, has it opened your mind to a lot of things or kind of how have you enjoyed that aspect of it in your life? Yeah, Wesley, honestly, you know what? My, my wife really liked it. Uh, I was, you know, it, it, it was fine. You know, I think we, we wanted a name that was, you know, that was going to be kind of a classic name, mm-hmm. but, you know, we didn't want you know, the, the, the standard normal names out there, you know, no offense to everyone named Mike or John (laughs) or Steve, but there's a million Mike Johns and Steve's out there. I know a lot of great Mike Johns and Steve's, but you know, we, we want something a little different. Grant's a wonderful name too. I offered. You did. I think, I think it was one of the first suggestions <laughs> I gave you. So. The suggestion box. And actually, my growing up, my favorite player was Grant Hill uh, from okay. the Pistons. So yeah, I, right. Grant was on the short list. Mm. Grant we'll Fuhr. Grant Fuhr, another ah. one. Yeah, yeah. In the organization too. Yes, he yeah. is. Yes, yes he is. Yeah. So that was a short name. So no, not a, not a, uh, not a family name. I joke around. I only know uh, uh, two black Wesleys: Wesley Snipes and Wes Unseld, <laughs> uh, and then Wes Brown, who works yeah. in payroll here for us. So. Three Three black Wesleys. So I'm like, you know what? The world needs more black Wesleys, yeah. so why not? But uh, his middle name is Robert. Both of our grandparents, my wife's and my uh, and my grandfather, uh, were named Robert. So Great. that's that's a family name. But yeah. uh, no, nothing real special about the name. But um, I mean, fatherhood's been awesome. I've um, 
I grew up as an only child. I was adopted by a single mom. My mom never married. So, and, you know, I never had a dad growing up. And my entire life, I always wanted a dad. But then I said to myself, you know what? I, I can't wait to be that father that I never had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my, I, I, when I got to college, my first two goals I ever set for myself were to get to the National Hockey League and to become a father. Mm-hmm. And I was able to accomplish both of those before <laughs> I was 33 years old. So, yeah. um, you know, but it, it's honestly, it's been the time of my life, uh, being able to, like I said, to watch him grow and all the sleepless nights and all the headaches are are worth it every day. And I I think anyone listening out there who has kids can, you know, relate that it's, it's not easy, but Mm -hmm. it's fun. I wouldn't trade, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, watching, watching him become the young 14 month old boy that he is now. And so, 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 so much farther to go, but it's been awesome. Beautifully put. And so while I'm sure the trip to Europe was fantastic, I'm sure you missed the little guy a lot. Yeah. So with that being said, dig in if you can a little bit more. How was the trip? What all did you do? Why were you there for the fans that might not know? Yeah, it it was awesome. You know, we're, I'm going to, I don't want to give too much Mm -hmm. away. We got to let you guys, uh, give you guys a reason to watch, but essentially I, we came up with an idea of, of doing these hometown visits. You know what I mean? We here at the Kraken here in Seattle, we're building a hockey market and you know, we know who these players are on the ice. We know their stat lines. We know what they're capable of, but, but who are they as people? And that is something that me personally, I've always been interested in, in my entire career, getting to know players as people and not just numbers and stats. And Mm -hmm. we came up with a very ambitious plan. Hey, why don't the company pay for us to go to Finland and Sweden for two weeks uh, and gallivant around Scandinavia and find out more about our players? Uh, They were all on board, uh, thanks uh, to Katie and Victor and Lance and Lamont and, and everybody else who helped push that through. Uh, so we went over to Sweden for two weeks, or, or Finland and Sweden. We started with Ellie Tolvanen in Helsinki. Uh, we we got a look inside of, of his family life, his training regimen, what he does in the off season. Uh, his his godson, uh, also his nephew, his brother's son, uh, had a fifth birthday party when we were there. So he invited <laughs> us to his uh, his godson's uh, fifth birthday party. We got an awesome view into the life of Ellie Tolvanen uh, in the summer. We went to Stockholm to find uh, Alexander Wenberg. Uh, and, and his wife and son, and we spent a few days with them, uh, again, getting to know how do they spend their summer? W- what's it like being from this magical place? Uh, uh, you know, when you fly, if you've ever been to Sweden, you fly into Sweden, man. It is just gorgeous yeah. coming over the fjords and everything. So we spent time with them. And then we wrapped up uh, in Malmo, which is in the southern part of the country, uh, right uh, across the uh, the water from Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, with Andre Burakovsky. So we, we talked to him about growing up uh, in Malmo. His dad played in the NHL. His yep. dad's now coaching uh, back in uh, in Sweden this year, junior team, uh, of course, coming off of injury. So we talked a bit about that and his recovery. And, right. you know, it was, it was very little hockey. It was very little hockey. This was, who are you? Who are you, Ellie Tolvanen, Andrea Barakovsky, Alexander Wenberg? Who are you? What do you do? What do you like to do? What makes you, you? And I think this is going to be, you know, this has the potential. I'm already going to say it right now. This is probably going to be one of the best content pieces we've ever done uh, in the in the three years that we've been around. So very, very excited and looking forward to, to the fans seeing uh, our players uh, like we got to see them. And for all the things that you were able to do there yeah. and kind of pull out of those guys with the questions that you were asking. Yeah. I'm sure that you came across the question of what got you into hockey. For sure. So I am now going to pose that question to you, yeah. Everett. When you were a young man, when you were a little boy, where did your passion for the greatest sport in the world begin? You know, I like yourself, I grew up in a very passionate hockey market. I was lucky enough to grow up in Detroit uh, when they were in the middle of 26 straight years in the playoffs. Uh, when I first started pl- paying attention to hockey and, and sports, really, I was probably about seven or eight. So that would have been 96, 97. Uh, the Red Wings were, were just beginning that rivalry with the Avalanche. Sorry, Grant. It's uh, <laughs> good for both of us. It's good for yeah. both of us. Yeah, which, by the way, I will say, t- like eight-year-olds, 
year-old Everett this year when Seattle beat the Avs in the playoffs. Oh, I was so happy. Uh, I was so good. happy. It well, felt good. It felt, oh, gosh. What it a felt, rivalry it that felt was. so good. Yeah, that was, you know what? Everyone wants to talk about Boston and Montreal, and I get it. Toronto, Montreal, and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the great rivalries that we have in our sport. But I would be willing to put the Red Wings and Avalanche rivalry of the 90s up against any rivalry our sport's ever seen. Oh, yeah. And you don't need the longevity, right? You don't, I mean, th- this was a 10-year rivalry, and I think they played in the playoffs, what, six times? Sounds right. Over yeah. 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And in that time, I'm, I'm making this number up, but I, I feel like three or four of those times, the winner of that series went on to win the cup that season, mm-hmm. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, no, I'm willing to put that series up there. But anyway. So I grew up in Detroit. Uh, the Red Wings, they, they won back-to-back cups in 97-98. Um, when I was in third grade, a lot of my classmates played hockey. They were in the hockey. I was more of a basketball and baseball kid growing up. Um, but I wanted to fit in uh, with everyone. You know, they're all exchanging hockey cards every day and talking about this Iserman guy and this Fedorov kid and, you know, Chris Osgood. I don't know who these people are. So I went home one time and I, I watched uh, I watched a Red Wings game and they just happened to be playing uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Edmonton had two black players on their team. And mm-hmm. that was huge for me because, you know, I'd, I'd never seen uh, black folks playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, I, I, I didn't know that was a sport that, that we were able to excel in. So mm-hmm. I, growing up, was always kind of a casual Red Wings supporter, but I was more of an Oilers fan because I felt that I could relate to them. And, and in the late 90s, early 2000s, Edmonton had at, at any one given time, seven black players within their organization. So that was huge uh, right. for me. And I, up until I got the job here in Seattle, you know, I was a diehard Oilers fan. I, I was there when they they lost the in game seven to, to John Forslund and the Carolina Hurricanes. And I was there back in 2017 when the decade of darkness finally came to an end. The Oilers finally made the playoffs after abysmal, you know, five first round draft picks and our first overall picks, I should say, over the course of a 10-year span. But um, that's how I got into hockey. Uh, kind of, you know, my, my friends were, were into hockey, and, and seeing that representation pulled me into the game, and uh, that that's where my fandom began. And those two players being George LaRock. Yep, George LaRock and, and, current, and, my, and uh, Mike Greer. Yeah. Current San Jose Sharks general manager Mike Greer. Have you had an opportunity to meet either of those guys? I have not met either of them, um, but I will say I, I had a, a little bit of an emotional moment during the draft last year. It was Mike Greer's first draft uh, with uh, the San Jose Sharks and myself, uh, Dave Tomlinson, Mike Benton. We were doing a, um, a, a draft show uh, over here at 32 Bar and Grill, and we were coming back from, from break, one of our last breaks of the show, and um, the Sharks were picking, uh, were, were, were up on the clock. And Mike Greer comes up there, you know, with the first overall pick uh, or, or the, the first round pick for this year's draft. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would be lying to you if I said I didn't, I didn't shed a bit of a tear. And, I, and we came back on the air and I said, before we begin, you know, I, I got to just point out a very historic moment. The first black GM that our sport's ever seen is making his first pick. And, and this is a guy that, you know, history would tell you that he shouldn't be up there. History mm-hmm. will tell you that he doesn't belong as a GM. He doesn't belong, um, you know, in in our sport. And, and he's worked so hard um, to to get to where he is as a player, as an administrator, um, and and now as a as a GM. So it was it was very cool to see one of my favorite players of all time in that role becoming a and, and and etching another piece of his legacy in NHL history. I mean, that was awesome for me. So, um, yeah, but Mike Greer, Drew I've never met them. Anson Carter was also on that team. He was the mm-hmm. third um, who was added, I want to say like 98, 99 season around there somewhere. I've met him a bunch of times. He does work for Great TNT. Guy. Great guy. Ace. Awesome guy. Ace. Yeah, Ace is an awesome guy. Oh, yeah. So uh, I've been able to meet him a handful of times, and, and we've had some great conversations. So, um, but But being able to say that, I now work in a league in which three players that if not for them, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair to, to now say that I can work uh, in some capacity alongside them uh, is, is, is awesome. In the journey that they took, a lot of support. Yeah. From families and friends and teammates and coworkers and mentors. How about for you? 
you look at where you're at now, yeah. um, are there any people in your life, role models, mentors, family, Shelly, people yeah. that have supported you along the way that have not just helped you get here, mm. but stay at the top and know that you belong? You know, I, I mean, I think I think first and foremost, I mean, it's got to be my wife. It's got to be Shelly, right? We we met in Cincinnati. Um, she, the very first thing she said about me, and I always tell this story, she, she hates it, but she loves it at the same time. Uh, her best friend was was uh, in a relationship with our assistant coach uh, at the time, and he and she was trying to hook us up and set us up for a long, long time. But Shelly wasn't having it. Uh, so finally, yeah, she was. I know. That's how most of these stories exactly, begin, right? isn't that right? You could be buzz off. Um, so she she comes to a game one time, and I'm up in the press box. You've been there; it's a little makeshift press mm-hmm. box um, in Cincinnati. And and uh, her friend, her name is Danielle, uh, points up to the press box and and says, "Hey, that." That's the guy up there that I want you to meet. That's who I'm trying to introduce you to. And without skipping a beat, the very first words that my wife, the now mother of my child, ever said about me was, do you mean that guy in the ill-fitting suit? Ew, no thank you. (laughs) And walked off. And that was the very first thing that Shelly ever said about me. And You're an honest guy. Was I'm it a, ill-fitting? Was it, it a little? It was. It was a. It was from the Steve Harvey collection. Okay. It okay. was. It was. It was one of those quadruple-breasted, eighteen-button suits. You know, like it was. It was a. I, I ended up actually getting that suit tailored once we started dating. Uh, I ended up getting under her uh, request mm-hmm. uh, demand really. Um, I went and got that suit tailored and they probably took like a quarter of the fabric off that <laughs> damn thing. So, um, but no, it, it starts with her, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's not easy um, being romantically involved with, with someone in sports, dating, married, whatever the case may be, because you travel, you have long hours. When I was in Cincinnati, you know, I would get to the rink every day, eight thirty, nine o'clock. And if it's a home game day, if I'm out of there by midnight, that was a good day. Right. So you don't see each other a whole lot. There's the travel that's involved. There's the, the fact of the matter that minor league sports is a very volatile business. I mean, how many times have we seen these teams just up and leave with very little warning? Right. So there was always that there was always my desire and my want to continue to climb the hockey ladder and get to uh, the American Hockey League and ultimately the NHL. So, you know, you, you need a, a wonderful, supportive person to 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 be there for you uh, through all of that. And, and Shelly has been there with me every step of the way. And, you know, with without her love and without her support, I mean, this decision, this this journey isn't as fun. Uh, it, it isn't as rewarding because I get to come home every day and, and see, you know, my beautiful family there, my biggest cheerleaders. I've got so many videos on my phone of when my son Wes was, you know, months old, four, five, six months old, and they're watching the game, then they'll turn the radio feed up. And, you know, Wes is just watching the TV as, <laughs> as the Kraken are, are playing, whoever we're playing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it starts with my wife. It starts with my son. Um, you know, obviously my mom has, has been a huge supporter of me and, um, you know, always supportive of, of what I ever I choose to do. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to college and, and through, she's helped me out with my moves. You know, she's financed a lot of those moves. You don't make a whole lot of money in the minors. So when it's like, Hey mom, uh, moving to the youngstown, a couple bucks. Please? I, yeah. You want to, <laughs> I found a real cheap U-Haul. I'll pay you back. I yeah. promise. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, obviously your family there, but you know, I've had so many coworkers and colleagues throughout my career that that have supported me and and there, there's so many that I could name, but I just think it's it's the hockey world in general has, has been awesome. Everyone that I've worked for in the USHL League office in Youngstown and Cincinnati, here in, in Seattle, and, and even other organizations that I've gotten to know, just people want to see you succeed. And I think that's been that's been the, the the general consensus that I've taken away from my now 13 years uh, in some capacity in this industry is that good people are everywhere and all they want is for you to succeed and do well. Mm-hmm. It's always a journey yeah. to get to where you're at right now. Um, so take us through your journey. And when you say Cincinnati, meaning the Cincinnati Cyclones yeah. of the ECHL, and for the fans that are listening and might not know, it's the mm-hmm. kind of equivalent to double A baseball, yes. right? Where you've got double A, then triple A, and then the major leagues. Um, 
So even before your time in the ECHL, the Cincinnati Cyclones, take us through your path of kind of where you started broadcasting or where you even started with the USHL, if you want to go back that far, and then kind of on to how you got to to be the voice of the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I mean, I I started broadcasting in college. I went to to the illustrious Bowling Green State (laughs) University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Home of the Falcons. Harvard of the Midwest. Harvard of the Midwest, (laughs) Yale of Northwest Ohio, and Oxford of Wood County is what I tell folks. Uh, No, so I I got my start at BG. I always knew that I wanted to work in sports. I never knew what I wanted to do. Um, If I'm being honest, I was always wanting to be Stuart Scott on the sports center desk. You know, I wanted to, that's who I wanted to be. I didn't know that, you know, play by play was even an option. I, you know, you look at some of the great play by play people that we've had across sports. I, I thought they were all made in a lab somewhere, right? Like Dave Niehaus and Rick Riz and, you know, the, 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 the greats here in Seattle and, and, and other places, right? How do you become a play-by-play guy? So um, I joined a, a student radio group in college, um, and I fell in love from the first meeting with, with everything I heard. I, I started out my freshman, I was a 17-year-old freshman, um, doing board opping, pregame shows, intermission reports. Um, I was the only person that would volunteer to board op and do intermission for the Bowling Green Alaska Fairbanks games when wow. they were on the road that's 11 30 at night eastern time wow. i mean that means i can't party that weekend so i'm, I'm giving i'm willingly giving up a weekend of party sacrifice sacrifice people yeah. um to, to to board up bowling green alaska fairbank so um that's where it got started and then i got my first broadcast um in january of 07 my freshman year and we didn't have a lot of folks in our group that were even hockey fans, let alone would want to broadcast hockey. Everybody wanted to do basketball and football. They wanted to do the sexy sports, right? Hockey wasn't considered sexy, uh, especially in Ohio. You know, I, I'm shaking my head. Exactly. I get it. Grant, no, you're not. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but everybody wanted to, to do those. And we, I, I volunteered uh, for a color analyst role um, at Bowling Green for one of the games. And that was it. I did that game, and I remember I called my mom the next day, maybe the later, the, later that night, the next day, and I said, "We're we're we're doing this. We're putting all of our eggs in the hockey basket." Mm-hmm. So I was newly turned eighteen, college freshman, and I already knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. So that is uh, that. That's how I got started. Um, I did color for two more years uh, at Bowling Green, and then my uh, senior year, my fourth year in school. Uh, I took over as the play-by-play announcer for the team. So I did that my, my fourth year, my fifth year, and then my first year out of school. So three years total, left Bowling Green, ended up getting a job out of sports, hated every second of it, wanted to get back in sports. What was the job? Uh, I was, uh, I was a, an IT recruiter. I worked for a company back home in Michigan, and I was recruiting people for uh, AT&T and Verizon uh, engineering developer jobs. So I was basically calling people uh, and screening them for ninety dollar, wow. hundred dollar an hour <laughs> tech jobs. And I, you hate, are persuasive though. I, yeah. I mean, you must have led the league in in recruitments, right? Listen, I mean, I, come on. So I, you, you start out as a as I forget, I was a technical recruiter. I was a screener, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. So I, I had a couple of people that I worked under, and I would just filter up leads. And I think at one point I did end up having. I think I kept a tally. I think I was in the six months I was there. I was responsible for like eight. 10 people getting hired. So I'll take that. Um, not a big deal. Yeah, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I hated it every <laughs> second of it. I, I'm not, I'm not an office guy. Yeah. I'm not a spreadsheet numbers guy. It's just yeah. not who I am. So, um, okay. I, I wanted to get back in sports. Mm-hmm. Buddy of mine was working for the Chicago steel, the USHL and told me about a job in the league office doing video and PR and communications and marketing. So I applied for that job. I got that job. Uh, so I moved to Chicago for a year and a half. Um, and that's where I really learned a lot of the business. So I was doing PR, marketing, event management, event planning. Um, you know, we hosted a huge um, prospects tournament in San Jose every single year. I put that on. You know, I did all the, the, the league updates, things like that. But I, I still was missing broadcasting. I wanted to get back into broadcasting. So um, in the summer of 14, the Youngstown Phantoms had a radio opening. So I applied. 
got that job, uh, went there, uh, stayed there for a year, and then uh, moved up to pro hockey, went to Cincinnati. Uh, and that's where I spent uh, five years uh, doing everything under the sun. PR, broadcast, marketing, social, digital, team services. I did everything but sales. I was the mascot a couple of occasions, which seeing a <laughs> six foot three twister costume coming at you, <laughs> probably not the, the most wholesome of images, but uh, um, but no, it, it's been a journey and a lot of miles on the bus. I can tell you so many stories of of those minor league and junior league bus rides, mm-hmm. man, and and and. You know, I had a lot of fun in in that time, and this was always the goal to get here to the NHL. But you know, you you don't take for granted the jersey or the, the journey rather, and the path. And I mean, it was long, it was frustrating at times. I I almost quit a handful of times. You know, you can only make. $27,000 before taxes in Chicago for too long, right? You yeah. can only, you know, struggle and make under 40 grand a year for so long before you're like to hell with this. I, you know, I'm pushing 30 here and I'm like, what the hell am yeah. I doing? So, yeah. um, it was, it was long, but it was a lot of fun and, and ultimately it led me here. And two things that maybe you don't do now, mm-hmm. but you can speak to this obviously is that I think have probably helped you in your career in life now doing color commentary, right? Yeah. You're the play-by-play guy now, but doing color commentary at Bowling Green yeah. and then doing the media relations thing back in 2017, you won an award. I did. ECHL award for excellence for media relations. Yeah. So those two jobs, very different mm-hmm. and they don't, they help you now, but it's not like you're doing media relations or color commentary now. So how have those two part portions of your past and your career helped you in your current job now? You know, they, they give you a, 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 an appreciation of the, of the sport of the job, I think. And, you know, I, I've never played hockey, uh, anything past a beer league level. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even learn how to skate till I was 22. I was in my fifth year of college and I needed an extra two credits. So I took ice skating in the fall and then the, the teacher, um, ended up, uh, she, the teacher was dating the trainer of the <laughs> hockey team and they're, they're married now. They've got two kids. Like it was, I take credit for introducing them and yeah. for giving him the push to ask her out. Could but you major in that or was it just one, one class? It was one class. Okay. It was so one credit okay. hour, okay. one credit hour per semester. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, the ice skating teacher bent the rules and let me come back yeah. for my, my, my last semester. So, I didn't even learn how to skate, so I never played hockey growing up. So being being a color commentator, I think it, it helped me understand the game from that fundamental, from that X's and O's level. Um, I've always watched hockey. I've always fancied and, 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 and thought of myself as a student of the game. And, you know, everyone, you know, it helps if you've played because, yeah, you're right. I don't know what it's like being in a huddle in a locker room. But you know what? I've been around this game long enough that I know a lot of guys who do. And mm-hmm. I've I've been present for a lot of meetings and I've been a fly on the wall for a lot. I used to sit in on video sessions when I was in Cincinnati just to learn what do you look for through video. And, and this is the first time in my career since college that I've had a color analyst. So mm-hmm. I've been by myself the five years in, in uh, Cincy and then the one year in Youngstown. So six years, I mean, that's over three, 400 games. Yeah. I broadcasted by myself with no color guy. So yeah. I had to be my own color guy. So mm-hmm. I think it gives you an appreciation and a better understanding of the insides and outs uh, of the sport. As far as the PR side of it goes, I mean, that is working in sports. I thought when I was a, when I was a young, naive college kid, I was going to show up to an NHL door call games and right off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. I was a finalist for a job my senior year of college and I didn't get it. Um, and the reason why was I did not have any PR, any marketing, any web development, any design. I was just the voice. And the guy even said, he said, listen, of the two of you, you're the better broadcaster, but what else can you do? I mean, this is, this is a full encompassing job. We don't have an entire department. You are the department mm-hmm. of, of four right. and five different things. So that was kind of a, uh, an eye opener for me to, to really, you know, 
find out what are the tools that I need in order to succeed in this business. So being a PR person, being a social media guy and a marketer, it gives you a, a fuller understanding of the industry as a whole. Um, you know, you know what to look for when you're, you're writing game notes and you're compiling stats, you know, you're, you're getting the media outreach done. And I, and I think all of those things have helped me in this role here. You know, I'm very fortunate in Seattle that I'm so much more than just a radio broadcaster. You know, I've been able to do a ton of media appearances and speaking engagements and community events. And I think I've, I've been able to do those well because of the training and because of the multiple hats that I've had to wear throughout my career. And for a guy that's had as much experience as you have and someone that is as open and outward and welcoming as you are, what's some advice Mm -hmm. that you would give a young broadcaster, male, female, who looks up to you, and there are a lot, Mm. what's some advice that you would give them, say they want to be a broadcaster, they want to be a media personality, but maybe need a little bit of help with direction or guidance or advice? You know, two things. Number one, I would always, I always tell folks, don't be afraid to fail. I mean, failing is okay. I have failed so many times in my career. Um, You know, I have, I lost count, but I probably have applied over the course of my life. I have probably applied for about 200 and some odd jobs. Mm -hmm. I've been interviewed for seven of those jobs and I've gotten five of them. You know what I mean? So seven out of 200 and then five out of seven. So I've been lucky there. But don't be afraid to fail. I mean, this industry is hard. And I would be willing to go, if I'm being real, this industry can suck sometimes. Like, it, it, it takes a lot out of you. And 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 it's not glamorous. It's, thank, it's thankless. I cannot tell you how many holidays, birthdays, special occasions I've had to miss because you're working. Um, but I, I've always known what I wanted to do. And I've always had this vision of, of where I saw myself um, in five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever the case may be. So not being afraid to fail, I think was huge. And also, and and it's going to sound so cliche, but reach out to people. You know, everyone that I've ever reached out to, everyone that I've ever met in this industry, they've always told me the same thing. They said, listen, if I didn't want you to reach out to me, if I didn't want to offer advice, if I didn't want to help, I wouldn't have replied to the email. I wouldn't have given you my card. I wouldn't have, you know, whatever the case may be. So it sounds so simple, but this industry is a lot about who you know and not what you know. And and I think a lot of folks um, sometimes forget that. You make the connections while continuing to be good at what you do, being good at your craft. I mean, you can't you can't be terrible at what you do. I mean, some people can, I guess, if you know the right people. But, um, but you know, using those advantages and those connections to your advantage, I should say, is, is huge. So those would be the two things that I would say. Don't be afraid to fail. Make connections. Meet people. Introduce yourself to folks. Um, and you know what? You're never going to look silly going to a Kraken game and sitting up in the 200 levels with a tape recorder calling games. It sounds so cliche. Doc Emmerich did that when he was living, when he grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, he would go to Comets games. He would sit way up in the corner with his recorder and he would just call games for the Fort Wayne Comets at 14, 15, 16 years old in the stands. I did it with baseball when I was in college. I'd sit up in the stands and i call baseball games. My first ever high school hockey play-by-play I did in college, I went to the Bowling Green uh, varsity uh, game the day before, and I was calling that game into a little crappy recorder, and I went back and listened to it at 2 o'clock in the morning before the game. It sounds cliche. It sounds kind of – I get it, but I'm telling you – if it works, that kind of stuff, you'll always have those reps and that practice to fall back on. I feel like that's kind of a commonality yeah. amongst us broadcasters <laughs> where, you know, I can relate to being up. I've always been kind of a night owl. Yeah. Being up till two in the morning mm-hmm. at home when I'm 12 years old playing Xbox, oh, right? Yeah. NHL 09 or whatever it was, and just broadcasting as I played. 12 years old, NHL 09. Something. Some, uh, something. Night. And, <laughs> and and then, to you know, my mom coming up to my room saying, you know, go to bed. Like, yeah. you're, you're waking everybody up. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, 
I, I, you know, I don't know, looking back, like for me, I don't know if it was, I liked playing games yeah. or I liked the broadcasting side more where it yeah. was like, it's infinite practice, yeah. right? It's just innate practice. I used to listen to every broadcaster in the NHL twice per season. Mm. When I was in college, on a random Wednesday night, I'd pull up the NHL feed, and then I, I would listen to Tampa, Arizona, right? Mm. I'd listen to, to Dallas, Boston, and mm. I would I would pick one broadcaster I'd listen to for a period, listen to another guy for a period, and then whoever I liked best, I would listen to them for the third. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to each team, and I'd try to at least twice, throughout the regular season. And I did that probably for about five years, well into my 20s, well into when I was in um, Youngstown and even in Cincinnati a bit. You know, you're doing game notes at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. There's a theme here. Uh, <laughs> you're doing game notes at 2 o'clock in the morning. You pull up the, uh, you know, the last couple periods of, of the West Coast game and you're right. listening to, to San Jose and Anaheim and Vancouver and all that. So um, I, I still did that up until, yeah. you know, until I got this job here. An obsession. Obsession. Right, an yeah. obsession. You bring up the name... Doc Emmerich. Yeah. Um, Bowling Green alum, give I me, should Give say. me your thoughts on Doc. And and aside from that, how about hockey play-by-play idols yeah. that you looked up to and tried to model yeah. your abilities off of? So Doc Emmerich, anyone who goes to Bowling Green and works for the hockey program or who works uh, in broadcasting at Bowling Green, you know Doc Emmerich. You know Steve Mears for the Penguins, and you know Jason Jackson, who is the radio. He's play-by-play. He's host. He does everything for the Miami Heat, uh, the NBA. Those are probably and Jay Crawford. He used to work for ESPN. Those are the four, like the 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 Mount Rushmore of Bowling Green sports broadcasters. There's a few more of us who've come up, a bunch of guys in the minors and, um, you know, who are making their way right now. But those are the four that when you when you go to Bowling Green for sports broadcasting and you start doing that, those are the four they tell you about. So Doc Emmerich, I mean, growing up listening to him and his wealth of knowledge and, and how he makes the game sound so interesting, I only really listened to him as a casual fan, but when I got to Bowling Green and I found out that he got his doctorate, he's Mike Emmerich, but he is Dr. Michael Emmerich <laughs> because he got his doctorate, he's Doc, right. uh, at Bowling Green. So uh, that's when I started to to really become a student of his um, and, and listen to him and pay more attention to him. Like I said, it was more of just casual viewing. The game was on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as my, my idols go, Going back to when I was a kid, growing up in Detroit, you know, Ken Daniels and, and on the TV side, Ken Cal on the radio side, Bruce Martin uh, back in the, the 90s, you know, that was a little bit before my time. You know, I listened to those guys quite a bit. Uh, Jim Houston, Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. Growing up, you know, we, we had Windsor right over the border, so we got CBC like we do here in Seattle, yeah. which has been awesome. But a guy like Jim Houston, you know, between the video games and between listening to him every Saturday, that he's probably the one guy whose voice I, 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 I tried to emulate and, and the way he calls the game. I love taking a bit bits of him. Uh, Jack Michaels in Edmonton. He was one of the first, I think he was the first NHL broadcaster that I ever reached out to, to, to try to, to get to know. And he replied, I met him at the draft back in 13. He was awesome. I, I, I like to, to take bits and pieces of, of what he does um, into my broadcast. So th- th- there's been a, a handful of guys, but I, I would say those are pr- probably the big ones. I would say is, is, is Doc, Jim Houston, Jack Michaels up in Edmonton, the the entire catalog of Hockey Night in Canada, right? Like yeah. that, they're the best for a reason. Um, you know, Gary Thorne was awesome. I didn't have cable growing up, so mm-hmm. I I didn't get NH or uh, ESPN. So right. you know, unless it was the finals and they were on ABC, um, I didn't. I rarely was. I I only ever had Gary Thorne on the video game, mm-hmm. and and he was awesome at what he did. But being right. able to see and listen to these guys every week, that's where I developed. You know that. Who do I want to model myself after? That's all broadcasting is, right? right? I mean, you're yeah. never gonna. Yeah, I don't, I'm convinced we're, we're not going to be able to invent something new that hasn't been right. said or that hasn't been done or tried out before. But mm-hmm. you can take a little bit from column A and column B and mix them all together and make your own column C. And how would you describe your style? Oh, boy. For someone who has maybe not listened to Everett Fitzhugh. Yes. 
How would you describe your broadcasting style? Loud and passionate. No. Um. <laughs> can we can we hear that again for those who can who didn't hear in the back? I'll make sure to loop that back a few times. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. It's all in editing. It's all yeah. We'll we'll fix that in post. Uh. <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, I, I think I think for me, you, you're you're always going to get passion. You're always going to be able to tell that I love what I do and I love this game. I've never worked a day in my life. I genuinely believe that, and you're going to get that every time you listen to to me. I've always, I've always had this romantic attraction to sports on the radio, especially growing up in Detroit with Ernie Harwell on baseball. Um, you know, being able to to paint that complete picture, and that's why I enjoy radio so much because telling people where the puck is, and as corny as it sounds, it's it's the blank canvas, and you have to fill it all in. Where's the puck? Who has the puck? Telling the story, uh, filling in a lot of those gray areas and the fringes along the side. And listen, I I know that uh, my style isn't for everyone. I get it. There's folks here in Seattle who don't like me, and that's okay. I like them, and I. I hope that this makes them feel guilty. So, no, uh, they don't like me, but I like you, sir. You know who you guys are. Kill them um, with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Uh, but no, you, you're going to get a passionate voice every night. You're, you're going to get someone who is prepared. You're getting someone um, who who realizes the position that he's in. Someone that is in a brand new NHL market that is trying to educate and entertain um, and keep folks interested and, and keep folks wanting to come back. And, um, you know, I, I love, I love John. I love Eddie. I love JT. I love all you guys on the TV side, but one of my biggest compliments when people was like, Hey, couldn't watch the game or for whatever reason I had to mute the TV and I turned you up like that. that that's mm-hmm. a huge compliment to me. Um, and again, taking nothing away from, from the one, my, my, some of my best friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to, to hear people say that, I mean, that, that, that it means so much. And that's, that's what I want to come across is, is that, you know, you can see the whole picture. You can, you feel like you're sitting right there in the front row of the game at the arena every night you listen. And that is, that's my main goal, number one, uh, when folks listen in. And my, my secondary goal is to bring across that passion, that relatability. I tell folks all the time, you know, I want every broadcast to feel like you and I are sitting at a bar having a couple of beers just talking about hockey. That's what I want you to feel like when you come and listen and bring us into your cars, your headpieces, your homes for for three and a half hours, 82 times a year. And someone who was with you every step of the way. Yeah. Dave Tomlinson. Ah, pour one out. (laughs) Is going to uh, another opportunity. Yes. Up in Canada. Um, Would love to get a couple words from you on on what Dave Tomlinson meant to you, your career, Mm. the friendship and the bond and the great product that you guys gave us and gave the fans each and every game. You know, what, what, when you think of Dave, what comes to mind? First time I ever met Dave, Mm. we was on the phone. Uh, He was at his son Rocco's uh, hockey practice and you could hear the, the sticks and the noise in the background. And, and I ended up going uh, to the rink uh, where he took this phone call later. Um, and, and I saw the corner where he had to duck into to take the phone call. Um, I had about a 10, 15 minute phone call with him and didn't really talk about much in particular, just, you know, styles and expectations and would he be interested in the job? He was still very much a candidate at this point. So then we hung up and I called Rich Moore over at KJR and I said, you do not need to talk to anyone else. This is the guy that I want. Um, Dave, I could not have asked for a better friend. I could not have asked for a better mentor uh, to begin my NHL career. Um, You know, for those of you maybe not knowing a whole lot about Dave, he got his start um, in broadcasting in Vancouver with the Canucks. His first season with the Canucks was actually 11 when they lost to Boston in game seven. You want to tick him off, bring that up just kind of very <laughs> slightly every now and again. I'll, I'll poke the old bear. Um, he's worked for, for Winnipeg and, and now uh, with us in Seattle and now his other opportunity. We can't divulge 
divulge what that is, but you know, definitely great move for him and, and, and his family and all of that. But, um, you know, Dave has been, he, he taught me the ropes of the NHL and, and he has worked with so many great broadcasters in his time in this league. So to be able to, to learn from him and to grow under him has been awesome. And, you know, a lot of people will, will, will think that the play-by-play color analyst is like a subordinate role, right? Like you're the play-by-play guy. I'm the boss. You do what I tell you to do. It was actually the complete opposite. Like I found myself asking him more. I mean, I, he, he, he was the elder statesman. He was uncle Dave, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I remember one time I, he, he, he was, was giving me some, some constructive criticism and you could kind of, you could hear not disappointment in his voice, but you could hear a little bit like, come on, man, you're better than this. And I was like, dang, I pissed off Dave like that. I mean, the rest of my day was, was like, I couldn't function. Cause I, I pissed off Dave. Like, I don't want to do that. Like I, I want, I want to make Dave happy. Um, he, he was so kind and so warm and so genuine and so fun to be around. We, we had our, our corny, uh, dad selfies, our I awkward, love those, awkward by the way. dad selfies. <laughs> every game. Um, but I think more than just on the ice or I guess in, in the broadcast booth mm. as a person, I mean, he's got two kids. So I, I got lessons on fatherhood. I got lessons on marriage with him. I got lessons on, on navigating my personal life and, and how to, to marry the two, right? How do you balance a, a wife and, and kid with, with being gone for 10 days at a time on the road? How do you do that? Man, I'm not sleeping. My, my kid was up to 3 a.m. crying, yada, yada, yada. Okay, here's what you do. It just so many lessons that, that I n- never could have imagined that a, a colleague would, would, would teach me. And, you know, I don't, I don't consider him a colleague, like Davis family. He, he's my friend. And actually I've already called him. Um, uh, you know, I'm hoping when, when he comes through Seattle or, you know, he, I'm, I'm inviting him over to the house and, you know, we're going to open up a bottle of wine. We're going to have some, have some dinner and and we're going to reconnect. But, you know, seeing him go, I, I, I told him in the, in the summer, I said, look, man, um, you, don't need my blessing, but you have my blessing. Like, you know, you need to do what's best for you. And I'm so happy for him and this new opportunity uh, that that's coming up. I'm going to miss him. Uh, I really am going to miss him. Um, but the lessons that he taught me in these first two years are, are lessons that I'm going to take throughout the next 20 years of my career. And, and when I'm, when I hang them up, I'm going to, I'm going to look back to these first two seasons and say, man, I don't think I'm the broadcaster that I am. I don't think that we have as much fun. I don't think that our, our brand as the Kraken audio network mm-hmm. grows so strong, so quickly without Dave Tomlinson. Yeah. Phenomenal guy. Awesome guy. Tremendous at what he does. Yeah. And uh, we're going to miss him big yeah. time, but he's definitely uh, uh, taking a great step in his career. Uh, no question. We'll be seeing him around. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be seeing we'll, him. We'll definitely be seeing him around. <laughs> we'll be seeing um, him. And with that being said, um, your first NHL broadcast. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. Preseason game. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the Washington Capitals had just uh, beaten Vegas to win the, the Stanley Cup. Um, John Walton, who is a, a Cincinnati alum, he uh, worked uh, in Cincinnati uh, before, um, and he is one of those guys, John Walton is one of those guys who he is all about bringing young broadcasters up, and he's always giving ECHL guys, AHL guys opportunities, whether it be through preseason or what have you. So he uh, reaches out to me that summer and, and says, hey, um, you know, been following your work and, and I'd love to give you an opportunity to to, to call your first uh, ever NHL game. Do you want to come to Washington, D.C. And, and do the Capitals' first preseason game after they win the Stanley Cup uh, against the Boston Bruins? So uh, I go change my pants. I come back, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, sure, let's, yeah. let's do it. Um, that game came at a very pivotal and critical moment of my career. I had been in Cincinnati for three seasons. I, I was nowhere 
nowhere near ready, I thought, at that time to go to the NHL. I'm not saying that I was itching to get out. I wasn't. But there comes a time in every broadcaster's career, and every really anyone who's got a goal, you're going to hit that kind of stagnant point, right? Mm-hmm. I can only unload bags at 2 o'clock in the morning in Wheeling, West Virginia, so many times before mm-hmm. I'm saying, what am I doing here, right? Like, so I'm hitting that point. I, I'd, I'd won... Uh, PR director of the year. I was a finalist for broadcaster of the year twice. So like I was building my resume. I'd applied for a couple of AHL jobs at that point. Didn't hear anything back. So I was getting like, all right, you know what? Maybe we should start looking at other options. I gave myself initially coming into Cincy, I gave myself seven years to move up. Um, And then once I get through with those seven years, we'll see what life holds after that. But um, so I, I go do the game in D.C., And that game was huge because it let me know that I was not as far off from my NHL goal as I thought I was. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it was an easy game. It wasn't. I was a wreck. I'd never thrown up before games. I threw up twice that morning because I was so (laughs) terrified and nervous. Um, But getting up in that press box, putting the headset on for the first time, the NHL is such a fast league, but these players are so good at what they do. The game actually slows down. And and when you watch an ECHL game, when you watch a USHL game, when you watch an AHL game, and then you go see an NHL game, it's poetry in motion. And like I remember in the first period, I had a Matt Niskanen goal call, and I was like, I can do this. Like, I this is all right, okay, like that really, in a very positive way, it relit that fire that I'd always had. It was starting to dim a little bit. Like I said, you're you're 72 games a year. You're riding buses. You're Mm. in the minors. You're eating pizza every other day, right? Like it's Eating Fazoli's. Eating Fazoli's every other day, right? Like It's really good, by the way. Those breadsticks. Fazoli's is good. There's always a noodles and company somewhere on the road. Uh, you know, you're a spaghetti factory, spaghetti factory, your $42 a day per diem. I remember one time we're in Wheeling, uh, and there was an Outback Steakhouse and a Longhorn Steakhouse and our equipment guy, Bud Light Bottles and Outback Steakhouse. Like that's Mm -hmm. all he needs to survive. Mm -hmm. And everywhere we go, we go to Outback. Well, our head coach was like, no, we're going to go Longhorn. I'm tired of Outback. They literally are in the middle of, of state route, whatever, in St. Clairsville, Ohio, arguing in the turn lane if we're going to go to Outback or if we're going to go to Longhorn. (laughs) Our equipment guy takes off and goes to Longhorn Uh, or or, uh, Outback. We all go to Longhorn. Then he comes maybe 10 minutes later. He comes in the Longhorn. He's like, I hate you guys. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? So, But, like, you're getting to that point. Mm -hmm. And then I do that game in, in D.C., thanks to John Walton, and that showed me that I am I, I can do this. I, the NHL is, is still very much attainable. It is very much achievable. I didn't feel out of place. I didn't feel like, you know, I, I couldn't do this. So that, that and I, I, t- I tell John this every time I see him, that game was at the perfect, the perfect time for my career and my development to to reignite that fire to to give me that last push toward the NHL. You've done some incredible things in your career. The first professional African American play by play announcer in the National Hockey League's history full time. Yep. And doing some research back in 2020, Ryan Clark, yep. great guy, wrote the day an NHL club hires Everett to become their play-by-play announcer will become a landmark moment for a sport that has grappled with constructs like diversity. Mm-hmm. Having achieved what you have and being in the position that you are, when you hear things like that mm-hmm. written about you and all of the work you've put in, not just to get you to this point, but all the things that you've done to earn the opportunity that you have, how do you feel? You know, I'm three years into this job and I still don't know if I've ever been able to accurately and adequately find the words to describe that because, you know, one of my one of my big mantras that I, I've, I've repeated so many times since taking this job, I don't think people really set out to be the first of anything, but if you find yourself in that first position, 
I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the culture that you're a part of. You owe it to your sport to to run with that responsibility and 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 tackle that responsibility head on. I, I, I talk about how I got into hockey because of Mike Greer and George The Rock, two black faces that let me know that I have a place and I have a voice and I am allowed and I am welcome within this game. Historically, that's not been the case. Historically, you don't see a lot of folks who look like me in hockey. And, and we're changing. We're getting there. The league is, is, is doing a number of, of great initiatives. The Kraken here, I, I think, are leading the NHL in terms of their DEI commitment. Um, but hearing something like that, it, it's, it's, it's very humbling because I've always considered myself a broadcaster, a PR guy, right? Luckily, and, and I, I'm, I'm very lucky, I'm very, very lucky in this regard, I have not had to endure a lot of, of overt racism and, and discrimination and hatred. Um, now, what folks say about me behind my back, hey, I don't know, probably there's someone out there right now who's got a whole Reddit thread about how much they hate me, but hey, whatever. Um, but luckily, I, I've not been, I've not had to deal with that head on. I cannot say the same thing about some of my colleagues, about some of my friends um, in this league. Um, I've always been Cincinnati's radio guy. I've always been Youngstown's radio guy. I've never mm -hmm. been the black radio guy from Cincinnati or Youngstown or wherever. Right. And, and all of my colleagues, all of my friends, they've always seen me and treated me as such. Um, so like I said, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate that's not happened uh, to, that does not happen to a lot of people. But to be in this chair and to be in this position, I think it is a responsibility because I, I don't want to be the only I don't, I don't want to be the first for the next 20 years. I want to be the first until tomorrow when another team hires a, a, a black broadcaster or, or a person of color or someone from a historically underrepresented community. Um, you know, I think it's huge. And like, you know, this is the part of this conversation that I know a lot of folks are going to roll their eyes with. You know, they're going to say, all right, if he's good enough, if, 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 if he's got the credentials, who cares if he's black or blue or green or female or whatever, he should be able to do the job if he's good enough. You're right. I, I 1000% agree. You're right. But the fact that it's taken over 100 years, we have been a league for 100 years we have gone through two world wars, a couple of pandemics. We've, we, we've added two states, three states in that time. And I'm the first black broadcaster in the 100 plus year history of our league, right? Like that, that is, that, that is something that it feels weird to say, but it's something that needs to be addressed because why? did it take until 2020 to hire the first black full-time broadcaster, right? I, I know for a fact that there have been broadcasters of color who have done this before me, who've, who've come before me and who have done broadcasting and, and things like that. So um, it's, it's a responsibility that I owe to myself to make sure that I'm not the only one, I'm not the last one. Someone asked me once, they said, what do you want your legacy, your career to be? And I'm like, well, first of all, I just got here. But <laughs> give, me, give me a little bit. But if, if, if I had to answer that question, yeah. I want someone to say, you know what, Everett was a really, he was a good broadcaster. He was good at what he did, right? Mm -hmm. He sounded good. He put on a hell of a show. But I'm going to remember Everett because he did everything in his power to bring more people from historically underrepresented communities with into our game. And that's what I want that lasting legacy to be. And like I said, I'm 34 years old. I just got here. Give me a second. I'm, 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 I'm formulating some ideas, but that's what I, that ultimately I think is what I want that legacy to be is like, you know, there, there, there isn't going to be just one. There's going to be two and four and six and, and 12 and, and however many down the road. And, and that's where you really commend the Seattle Kraken, you know, because it, it, it is, it is, it is such a powerful feeling on a daily basis to come into this office 
at a National Hockey League team's office and see not one, not two, but tens of people who look like you. I've had, I've talked to more black folks in this office today than I've had black coworkers my entire career combined, right? This sport can, can be a lonely place. And a lot of folks don't know what it's like to be the only person in a room and, and to be able to be a part of an organization that sees that and that wants to change that is, is such a huge honor. Um, and it is one that I know myself and, and everyone else who works here, we do not take it lightly. Um, but that, that's, that's how it feels to, to be here and to come here every single day and to represent this organization, to represent my family, to represent my, my, my city here in Seattle. Um, it's 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 such an awesome awesome responsibility and one that i i am tremendously honored to be able to 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 be a part of and a little bit earlier you gave some advice to young broadcasters but but how about other people um that are african-american that want to get into the game or people from underrepresented communities that that want to get into the game or they're they're facing certain things what's something that you would tell them to say hey try this or yep. do this and that might help the, the thing it's very simple it's 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 that you belong you are allowed you are welcome you are needed within our game we need black voices and female voices and Asian voices and Latino voices. And uh, we, we, we need indigenous voices. We need those people. We don't just want them. We need you in our game. And that, and that is, that is something that I, I want to get across to people is that you belong within our sport. You are valued. Your opinion is valued within our sport. Um, and I know it may not seem like it every, every other day I'm thumbing through Twitter. It'll always be Twitter thumbing through Twitter and and something else happened someone said this someone did or didn't do that and i know that the the chips are oftentimes stacked up um uh, against against folks but it's okay you have people who are here you have people who want to help and who want to pull you in and who want to look out for you and you know Every time I go into a press box and I see another person of color, I go up, I introduce myself. I'm like, hey, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you are here in this press box, in this sport, trying to change the, the face of this game. And that's all it takes. I never had that. I didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't have a lot, of, a lot of positive black influences within the game of hockey to look up to. Um, There's one broadcaster, his name was Mike Lockhart, who uh, was the broadcaster at Notre Dame. Um, he tragically passed away early uh, in his late mid-late 40s. I think mm-hmm. it was 08. Um, and, and he really was one of the first people that helped me um, get more interest into this sport, into this game. And we talked, we had the race conversation multiple times and, and we talked about that multiple times. And he was like, listen, man, I'm from, I'm from Compton. I'm from LA. I grew up in LA. I got beat up every other day because all I wanted to do was, was, you know, listen to, to Nick Nixon and, and, um, you know, listen to the Kings and watch the Kings and Bob Miller. Like Mm -hmm. I was a Kings, I wasn't a Lakers fan. Like I was a Lakers fan, but like I wanted, I was a Kings fan. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was huge for him. So, you know, he was one of the very first, the only ones until I got older in my career that I could say, man, there's another brother doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that was, that was so big. And to be, and to hear you and to hear other people say like, Hey, you other folks look up to you. I never thought anybody that wasn't my kid would ever look up to me. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's awesome to, to, to be able to, to talk to folks and to hear Mm -hmm. that. And I just want to do right by people. And look, I mean, I talked to a lot of people. You talked to a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people, and I'm not just saying this because you're I'm saying it because it's the truth and the reality is that there's a lot of people that from a lot of different backgrounds mm-hmm. and different genders that that look up to you. So, you know, very inspirational, very powerful stuff. Thank so, you. you know, I'm not, who am I to tell you good job? But no, seriously, you. you're no, doing, means a lot, man. You're doing you. really important Thank stuff. You. And that's, that's really great. And two, while I was doing all my digging research on you, Everett, <laughs> um, you know, I guess now known as X, but I guess we can still call it Twitter. It's Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Uh, in your bio, a quote, breaking down walls and defying stereotypes. Yeah. I love it. Is that been kind of a motto that you've adopted through yeah. your whole life? Yeah. Is that like, tell me about it. So uh, growing up, I was a hockey fan. Yeah. I played baseball. 
I listen to alternative rock music and Same. you know what I mean? Like I was, I was the white boy, my, my friends, you know, Oh, you the white boy. Oh, here come that white boy. Well, always watching hockey and always talking that hockey, man. You ain't black. You ain't black. That's all I ever heard, uh, growing up as, as, as a kid and, and into, to my teenage and my formative years. So, you know, I, I never let that bother me outwardly. Uh, I struggled with it internally for a little mm-hmm. bit, but, um, you know, you, you never show it. Right. But that's just always something that I've, that I've always believed in, you know, because there's so many stereotypes that are put on people and, and not just black folks, right. Women and, and, and other minorities and even white people, right. Like we all have stereotypes that we feel, you know, we need to, to fit into or that are put upon us. And I've never been one to fit into that box, right. Like I've never been one to want to fit into that box. So, you know, breaking down walls and and defying stereotypes, right. I want to continue to, to go places that I've told that I, that I was told I couldn't go. And I want to do things that I was told that I couldn't do. Um, and, and, you know, I want to, I want to be in places in this instance, the NHL that historically has told folks who look like me, I didn't belong. And like I said, I get in trouble because I say that sometimes, and it's not a slight on the NHL now, right? Our league is doing a lot of really great things. There's so many initiatives league wide and on the team level. Um, but you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, our league looked very different than, than, than it does today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, it, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, I'm some big, you know, whatever, but it's, 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 it's such an honor to play a small part in helping to change the face of this league and this sport and move this sport forward. Wow. Talk about a heck of a part one with Everett Fitzhugh and so much there, so much to chew on, so much to think about, a lot of important things, uh, not just in hockey, but in the world these days. And that was just part one. So stay tuned. We'll be back. Part two coming very soon, talking all about the Kraken, the team, and the expectations for next season. Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken, hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode. 